0: Creation sick to pass the time away. Lots of fun, heaps of fun. Enjoy yourself today. Not Melbourne boys are hard to beat when they come out to play. So join in the chorus,
1: singer on and all. join in the chorus, not Melbourne's on
0: the ball. Good old Not Melbourne, the champion agree. Not Melbourne will be brave.
2: Hello, and so welcome to the way Stern way Look. I'm Kangaroos Forever. Making his return to the show is Mark's Up. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Good to have you on. Also tonight, fresh from a fresh fresh AVO from Jack Zeeble. Good evening, Jay-Z. Thank you. And reporting from Sleepy Hollow and one of Geelong's finest posters, welcome, Willow.
1: Thanks very much for having me, guys.
2: Great to have you on. So firstly, straight up, it's the same structure as usual, so thumbs up, thumbs down, pretty much first up as usual. My first thumbs up will be Majak Dawes' very solid game, coming in against the Tigers at such a short notice last week. My second thumbs-up will be Brad Scott slamming the inconsistency of the MRP in the aftermath of the Hawkins suspension, which, in my opinion, was just incredibly soft. My only real thumbs-down would be the passing of the great Muhammad Ali recently. My thoughts and prayers are with his family. That's I don't have, really have a second thumbs-down, so I'll pass it on to Jay-Z.
0: No worries. Um, my thumbs-up this week, it, it's both pretty simple. First is 10-1. I mean... It's just unbelievable, I, I, I think um, we've sort of taken it for granted a little bit until this week and there's been a few threads popping up saying how awesome is this, um, and I was just looking back to last year, and this time last year we were 5 and 6, and it took us till around 18 to get our 10th win, so despite all the media hoo-ha of, you know, they've had a soft draw and whatever, I think it's pretty clear that we've improved a fair bit. Um, And along the same theme, my my second thumbs up was just a response to the Sydney loss. I think we were all disappointed with the showing last week, and there was some talk about whether some of the players were sick or whatever, but the response on Friday night was very emphatic, and we put them away like a top team puts a bottom team away. So that was great. Um, My thumbs down, and I think this is probably going to be echoed by everybody, is the inconsistency of the MRP. Um, I don't want to beg about it too much, but there's no way in hell the Hawkins hit was worth two weeks, and for Blykavs and Selwood to not even get looked at is equally baffling. I just don't understand the Hawkins thing. Like, I think if he had a hold of Davis's jumper and they could call it a jumper punch, he gets away with it, but because it was a clean swing, he doesn't, and that's just a weird kind of innocuous line to me. Like, last week I think it was Tom Lynch full-on belted, I think it was Lather in the stomach, and then he gets a fine, and Hawkins barely glances off Davis's jaw and gets offered two weeks down to one. That's just ridiculous. Um, and my second one was the back page of the Herald Sun today, where some jackass photographer took a photo of Macmillan tackling Zeebel at training and tried to extenuate that Jack was practicing drawing free kicks, oh, which yeah. was just gutter journalism at its best. Great.
2: All right, a bit self-marks up.
3: All right, well, yeah, my first thumbs up, basically the same. Ten and one's obviously an awesome start, and just the fact we haven't dropped a game to a poor side this year yet. We've beat everyone below us pretty much, and other people say that we've had a soft draw, but we haven't been able to win all those games in previous years, so I think that's just the best thing about it for us. And my second thumbs up was probably the Magic Door one as well. It's just good that... Like, when our best player goes down, we have someone so ready to put straight into the action. And he obviously cops a lot of flack, but I thought he held up his end of the bargain last Friday night without setting the world on fire. And my two thumbs down. My first one would definitely be the MRP, but this is for more the Blickavs one, just because Lindsay Thomas has just been made a scapegoat by the MRP all year. And if you follow Giant Roo on Twitter... You would see that he's posted a video of all the, what do you call it? Coat hangers. Incidents. Yeah. Yeah. So, coat hanger incidents, and none of them have got suspended except Lindsay. So, it is just puts more to the fact that he's being made a scapegoat. Mm. And my second thumbs up is a little bit closer to home. I mean, thumbs down is a little bit closer to home. Mason Wood for milking the shot clock against St. Kilda. And this is because in my football match on the weekend, our full forward took a mark with. Probably about 30 seconds left on the clock. We were down by a point. He was 30 out. He started milking the clock. <laughs> umpire said 15 gone. He starts walking in, and as he's walking in, the umpire calls play on. He gets tackled. He handballs the ball. The siren goes. <laughs> Lose by a point. And that is purely because the umpire's clearly been watching too much AFL, and he got the rule wrong anyway, because once you start walking in, it shouldn't be cold. Yeah. I was absolutely ropeable all week, so... <laughs> Five thumbs down, Mason Wood. You put it on the map and we've got done. because
0: That was the most ridiculous thing about that so-called rule change is the rule has been 30 seconds for forever. The only thing they've changed this year is putting it on the scoreboard. Mm. Surely
1: surely that thumbs down goes to the umpire who can't count. (laughs) Yeah, well,
3: (laughs) the umpire, but that's just the obvious one because they're all pretty (laughs) bad, aren't
2: they? (laughs) Oh, dear. I can
3: tell you right now, he was absolutely copping it. Like I've never seen anything like it on a country football level before.
2: Oh, I'm sure there's been a few incidents over the years in country football. <laughs> oh, this was pretty bad though. Like <laughs> he was copping it.
3: I can imagine. They anyway, move on, I guess.
2: <laughs> <laughs> How about yourself, Willow. Any positives or negatives from the week?
1: Look from a from a Cats sort of perspective, it was a positive for us to get back on track last week against a good team. No less, we were pretty awful the fortnight before. Um, Looked like we were starting to undo a lot of good work that we'd done earlier in the year. But to, um, you know, roll GWS on the weekend was a good positive. Um, Considering the position of the ladder, it, um, it really was a bit of a, it had to make or break sort of potential game for us, if we dropped it, we could really have been jumped by a few teams and, and it makes it difficult for you, sort of, in your, as you head towards the back half of the season. Um, and obviously I'm looking at things from sort of a, a cat-centric type of view here, but another positive for me has just been the way uh, our recruits have, have settled in um, this season after, you know, they all pretty much had a good game on the weekend, but we'll, uh, I believe we're going to touch on that later, so I won't go into too much of that there. Uh, thumbs down is obviously the Hawkins suspension. Um, if my biggest gripe was that it was two weeks initially, that he's offered two weeks for that when, um, you know, you see players, if you punch them and you've got a handful of jumper, they get away with it. If you punch them in the stomach, they get away with it. And to not even just be offered one, to be offered two, I thought it was pretty, pretty bloody ordinary, um...
0: And that was the difference, I think, between um, Geelong appealing and not, is if, if you get off at one, you appeal no way. But yeah, absolutely. You wouldn't have basi- to appeal. They basically said the risk of two, given we're playing the Bulldogs next week, is too much.
3: Is yeah, one? and the MRP is a little bit of a bad thing in that way, that you can't actually stand up for yourself without having to risk a bigger penalty. Yeah, it's, I, oh,
0: sorry, go ahead, Will.
1: Yeah, oh, I don't like the way that it's um, the way that it's set up. You shouldn't you shouldn't be penalised for objecting to a decision. Yeah, and even though they'll argue you're being offered a discount for accepting it, that's not the point. It still is when the when it comes down to it, you're being penalised if you try to challenge it and defend yourself, and you're not being given the opportunity to do that really. So yep. that whole um, discount
0: and- thing was brought in to reduce the number of people that actually went to the tribunal. It's a lawyer's yeah. trick to stop people from appealing everything.
1: Yeah, and the AFL doesn't want their match review panel to to suspend people and then have their tribunal overturn it. They don't want to be seen as... They want to be all consistent and all, you know, everything in the same direction and all on the same page. It's not a good look for them if they've consistently got decisions being overturned. So they're trying to avoid that situation altogether. But if, if every player that did it got a week, then I'd accept it. But, you know, and, and it's the same what you guys mentioned with the the coat hangers. Yeah, That'll probably be the only one for the year, and this will probably be the only time a is suspended for this for the year. And it just uh, it drives yeah. you mad, really, a, doesn't it? Because
3: the media build-up, it makes you wonder if you did actually challenge it, whether you would get off, because there's absolutely no fear in saying that what comes out in the media definitely has an effect on those kind of decisions. Like, I'd tell you right now, if the MRP had their time again, they probably
0: definitely wouldn't have suspended him. Yeah. Yeah. The media is definitely an influence. And the, the weird thing is force doesn't seem to come into it as much as um, results or impact. Like, I don't think Thomas would have gone for the Hunter thing if the Bulldogs hadn't have blown up and said, you know, Hunter was on his deathbed and his father drove him to hospital and all that. That, that has nothing to do with what the action was. Mm. It's rubbish. If, if you punch a guy in the head and he happens to have a hard head and he's fine and you punch another guy in the head and he gets concussed, why should the two judge differently? And
1: I especially found um, when you compare it to the week before when uh, Jack Viney threw you know a three-punch combo onto the drawer of Ebert and got two weeks and accepted one. When it's the exact same penalty that the you know we're sort of risking letting it take over already, but it's just the inconsistency. It just um, it frustrates all do? the football fans. Yeah, what but can you do? It just it just frustrates everyone. So it,
0: it's benefited us this week. Obviously, you know he's a big out for you guys, but it still pisses me off because the inconsistency just ruins the game.
3: And we all know what's going to happen when we win. It's because Tom Hawkins was out. Well, we we <laughs> never you... win without an excuse. <laughs> But just
2: you just never know
1: where you stand. I think that's the that's the most frustrating thing. You've got no
2: confidence whichever
1: way anything happens.
2: Well, it's that and the um, rules on the fly halfway through the season, like the shot clock. Like look at Lindsay Thomas. He's created four new rules over the years <laughs> midway through the season. Like it's just it's just on the fly. It just seems ad hoc. It just seems disorganised. there's just there's a lot of issues that need to be worked out. The sport go.
0: that I watch across the world. Where the rules are so grey and open to interpretation. Every other sport I watch, you can clearly say, you know, this is allowed and this is not. But for some reason, our games become so confusing and and open to interpretation. It's just ridiculous.
1: And you mentioned the, um, the shot clock one there, and, um, it was mentioned before, but like, though. No. Obviously not a Ruse fan, but I had no issue at all. And I knew some people on, on Twitter and that who were Saints fans that were outraged. And I said, I said, what? I said, I don't know what your problem is. I said, he plays to the rules. I said, the only difference between previously is now that the player actually does get 30 seconds and not the umpire saying 15 gone after seven seconds and then call and play on. I said, the players are actually getting the opportunity that they're meant to be getting. So I couldn't see any problem, and it's just sort of typical of the over-reactionary nature of it all, that they immediately (laughs) decide to drop off the 30 seconds straight away, just... Yeah, anyway.
2: Well, you got another negative, or is that... No, that's tough. We've probably had enough negative. (laughs) Fair enough. We'll move straight on to North Club Discussion, so you can have a bit of a snooze if you want for the next five minutes. (laughs) (laughs) The main topic we're going to discuss for this segment for the Club Discussion is the new Tasmanian deal, which sees North Melbourne playing in Hobart for three games per year over a five-year period. In addition, North Melbourne will be running a new youth academy, in three regions in Tasmania starting in roughly six weeks or so where we'll be focusing on developing and enhancing the skills of talented 11 to 15 year olds the academy will be called north's next generation academy and we'll run a 10-week elite skills and footy development program for both boys and girls which is great in that 11 to 15 age group so firstly jay-z just what are your impressions of the new deal and this new youth academy um
0: i'm quite happy with it i in, in terms of the academy, um, I sort of expected it um, when the mainland um, academies were announced and Hawthorne got half the country. I sort of deduced from that that we were going to get Tasmania. Um, so I'm pleased with that. Um, in terms of the deal, I'm quite happy with that. I think it's, as we've spoken about previously on the podcast, it's sort of a necessary thing at the moment while we're getting screwed in the arse at Eddie Had. We'd need Tasmania for the money. I think three games a year is the right amount. Um, and that basically gives us five years of stability and then hopefully the Eddie Had issue is sorted out and we can go from there.
2: Anything else to add, Marks up? Yeah well I just think
3: we've totally like nailed it over there. I know a lot of people were worried about more games going to Tasmania and as a supporter living in Adelaide I was probably a bit less concerned even though I didn't really want to see that happen because that's where you sort of start to get to the point of losing your club again if you go there for too many games. But the fact that we've got three over five years, it's obviously worked thus far. I don't think anyone's got that bigger issue with it considering you get replacement games anyway for members. So I think that's a good thing. And hopefully the academy will translate into us getting access to Tasmanian players because we obviously know there's been a few that have come out of there, although we probably don't want someone like Jack Riewoldt at our club, but players, well, the, like, that, players yeah. like that coming out. Yeah, what were you going to say?
0: The the academy is, as all of the academies, other than obviously the GOS ones and whatnot, but all the ones they're talking about setting up this year for the other clubs is limited to people who aren't playing football, so like your indigenous sort of players. So it's, it's not going to get you a Jack Rewold yeah yeah
3: Obviously, yeah I know I know that we don't get access to those players, but yeah. you never know what it could turn into if we commit to Tasmania beyond these five years. surely they've got to start thinking about how much work we put into that uh, area and how the rewards we should get from it. So you never actually know what could happen from that, yeah, but I do think, yeah, like as I said, we've nailed it over there. JB's done a pretty good job, I think. We can all say that. And as long as it doesn't end up in us relocating to Tasmania, God forbid we <laughs> probably won't. I'm completely fine
2: with it. Um, Willow, have you got any thoughts on just that academy, or not at all, academies in the AFL, like the future in the AFL? Um, it's it's a hard one. I, can,
1: I see the benefit of, of them using the academies to sort of lure the, the talent up north, where you know you only need to be, be up there and you see the um how AFL sort of looked down upon, and a lot of it com- in comparison to rugby and, and to um league. So, I think it's a good thing to have the academies there. I'm not, um, I'm not, I think the system still needs a bit of work. Um, I, I like the bidding system so that you know basically every one of them doesn't get to basically, you know, Sydney or GWS or, or, or wherever it is. Um, the the points needs to be worked out a bit. I think it was rorted something stupid last year when um, we saw a lot of top first round draft picks getting picked for like multiple low ones just so they could you know, really got manipulated just so GWS and Sydney didn't care because they had a ton of late picks just to add up to points to get them decent picks. Mm. Um, but I can see the benefit of it. I just don't think it's a perfect system yet. That's probably the best way to, to look at it. And I'm a bit ignorant about it all as well. I don't i do not follow it as closely as as others do and um, probably understand the full implications of it all either.
2: Well, it's a bit complicated, think, all that point system anyway. So, Mark's up. Yeah,
3: I just think, like, everyone can see with Isaac Heaney that Sydney obviously got first crack at him, and he's probably now, in hindsight, of course, he's probably now the almost the number one draft pick from that year. So <clears throat> there's obviously a level of unfairness there, but if they are um, developing these players, I guess that's the flip side of it. No one knows how much work goes on behind the scenes. The I think all
0: right, but the as Willow was alluding to, the rorting of the system needs to be fixed. And I mean, the AFL approves or disapproves, and it's very rare that they disapprove, of every single trade that goes through. Um, all I think it needs is for them to crack down and say, you know, if you're trading pick 15 for three picks in the 70s, that's an obvious points grab and we we don't let it through.
2: And that's all it needs. Mm. Yep, that's interesting. Anyway, we'll move straight on to the VFL segment because I think we covered academies quite enough. So <laughs> <laughs> in terms of VFL, I'll just be brief with this segment because we have got plenty of questions to get through. So, in terms of the result on the weekend, Werribee went down to Collingwood VFL side by about 29 points in fairly wet and dour conditions. Just off the stats, because I don't get to watch much VFL up here in New South Wales, so lucky me. So, Jermont played well with 32 disposals. By all reports, Garner had a very good return from a decent injury layoff, and we eagerly await his return to the AFL side. Hopefully, the next couple of weeks with him and Anderson coming back will be great. Mullet, Fordham, Clark all had very solid games, but there's a number of posters questioning their disposal efficiency and that they apparently butchered the ball a little bit. Uh, this the game this week's on Sunday against Richmond at Pump Road at 12:30. So basically, Lugie also had a very good game on the weekend, taking a number of intercept marks. But I just want to ask you, marks so up? Does Lockie Hansen feature in our back on again this year, or is uh, Is it injury-reliant or dependent, or what's the case? I think,
3: I honestly, in my opinion, I think Lockie Hansen's probably, his best foot is behind him, and he's probably not going to be in our best 22. It would take one of the Thompson, Tarrant, or Ferrito to go down, I think, to see him playing, and God forbid that happening, because they're all playing pretty well. Ferrito's probably the only one that you could be sceptical about, but I still think he's in ahead of Hansen. So, yeah, like, Hanson played some really good football in 2014. I remember going to watch a game where we played Hawthorne that Eddie had, like, came over, and he took... I can't remember how many marks, but he did was
2: 28 mark. disposals against Hawthorne. That's... Yeah, he
3: just marked everything behind the footy. Right. That's probably... That's the one game I can remember that he absolutely killed it. I don't reckon he's played one like it since. So, yeah, I think we're a better team without him, and it's unfortunate because... He was starting to hit his straps around that time, but even last year in the finals against Richmond, he still made errors that just make you facepalm. You get the best and worst of Lockie Hansen when he plays, and sometimes I think the worst is worse than the best is the best.
2: Well, do you think the hips and the concussions have taken a toll on him, or is it just the state of the game that the game's just too quick for guys like him?
3: I think you'd probably have to ask himself that, but it's obviously the last one was pretty serious because he didn't even get back to the VFL for, I think, what, three weeks, I think it was. So it's obviously taking a toll on his health, and I think in his mind, obviously I can't speak for Lockie Hansen, but maybe even he's thinking it's almost time to let it go a bit because we saw what happened with Lee Adams, and they've got long lives after them, so... Yeah, the right decision.
2: Yep. Obviously... Anyway, I think I've... I'm good. Yep. Anyway, I, don't I lost you there, but anyway. We'll move straight on to question time. We've finished up on the VFL. So in terms of questions, I'll start with a question for Jay-Z. Mutley 45 wants to know your thoughts on a policy of not debuting New Blood so far this year.
0: Um, I don't know that it's so much of a policy of not debuting New Blood, so much as it's very hard to break into a winning team. I think um, we've had quite a number of injuries this year and that's forced changes and you've seen players like Wood and Dorr and Dumont and all of that have gotten their opportunity um, when the spot was open up. But I don't know that when you're in a premiership window and we all hope and think that we're in a premiership window this year that your priority is getting games into your Wagners and Clarks and those types. I think this year we've tried to take um, a policy of rewarding VFL form in some of the other guys that I mentioned previously in terms of playing and then the others that aren't quite there yet, like Wagner this week, we've rewarded with an emergency list. And I think that's you know the message to say, you're close, you're doing well, keep going. But you're trying to break into a team that's 10-1, and everyone understands how difficult that is. I mean, going back to Lockie, that we were talking about just a little bit before, I remember talking to him at a a player sponsorship night late last year, and he was saying that he felt great, but as long as we were winning, he didn't think he could break into the team. And even for a guy of Hanson's seniority, he understands that a winning team is one that's hard to break.
2: Yep, definitely. Mark's up. Gasso would like to know, currently, he'll be leading up BNF, and who would have the most Brownlow votes? Wow,
3: that's actually a really hard question. Um, I think probably Goldstein still, even though he's had a few down weeks. He's played pretty well in a lot of games. I'd say Goldstein would probably be leading up Brownlow just on purely on reputation and the fact that he still held his form up pretty high. I think Wells would also be close, and obviously zebel has been pretty good this year, yeah. and I think one of the others that might surprise if you were in the best and fairest would be Luke McDonald. I reckon he would be
2: in the top 10,
3: if not the top 5. You Maybe know,
2: you can even include Tarrant in that discussion as well. And
3: Tarrant, yep. I did forget Tarrant. He would definitely be in the best and fairest race. I wouldn't say Brownlow. He probably wouldn't be polling Brownlow votes, but... Nah,
2: defenders I, don't.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So... Yeah, Tarrant would be up there. It'd probably actually be between about four or five players, if you ask me. Yeah.
2: Next question. Jay-Z, Rod Zombie wants to know, what did we learn about Scott as a coach in his absence last Friday? Uh,
0: I don't know that we learned a whole lot last Friday because Crocker had the easiest job in the world on Friday night because we just absolutely smashed them, which we'll go into detail later. But (laughs) 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 I think in terms of his absence last year... um, I think he's, and everyone's sort of spoken to this a lot over the last 12 months or so, I think he's come back with a little bit more of a hardness um, element to him. Before, there was a lot of um, people saying that he backed his best 22 in too much and he ignored VFL form and whatever. But I think this year and late last year, there's been a good balance of rewarding people that have played well and, and not absolutely doing everything they can to play the best 22. And, and Goldstein was an example this week. We all saw in the last couple of weeks that he wasn't 100%. And in previous years, I don't know that we would have made that change. I think we would have just played him in, in an injured state. Um, yeah. But th- but this year we have the confidence to say, all right, he's not 100%. Rest him. Bring Dory in. Dora did a great job. We keep rolling.
2: Yep, answer. Now, I've got a few questions from Philly Roo for you marks up, so just a couple of quick answers to these. Yep, all right. So, I'm not sure if you read them, but anyway. Firstly, what led you to be a Northman despite the rest of your family following other clubs? Okay,
3: we'll try and keep this quick short, but I actually started following them, well, the earliest memory my family had of me following North Melbourne was after the 1998 Grand Final. I started bawling my eyes out as a six-year-old. And started, like, screaming apparently they're never coming back because I just didn't understand football, and I thought that was it. (laughs) North Melbourne were gone. And they were like, what's going on here? Like, they had no idea that I even supported North Melbourne. And, yeah, I've been a supporter ever since. And both my brothers go for the Crows. My dad's St. Kilda and my mum's Collingwood, so... An interesting it's household.
2: Kilda in Adelaide, jeez.
3: Yeah, well, we lived in Mount Gambia, so it's right on the border of Victoria uh, and okay. Australia. I was going to
0: ask if you have some connection to Malcolm Black. <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't.
2: <laughs> uh, next question. Is being an avid North fan enough of you, enough of a pull to drive you towards Melbourne and moving towards Melbourne?
3: Well, obviously, I'd love to live in Melbourne just to be able to go to North Games, but this stage, yeah, I'm still at university, if a job presented itself in Melbourne, I'd obviously jump at the opportunity, but yeah, at this stage, no, it's probably not a big enough pool, because it just doesn't work financially or logistically for me, but hopefully one day I can live in Melbourne, and I can tell you right now, I'd be at every single game that I could be at.
2: Answer. Now, some questions for Willow before he falls asleep from inactivity. <laughs> Firstly, I know you've already read this and answered this, but anyway, if Brett If Brad dressed as Chris and vice versa on Saturday night, how long would it take Darcy to figure out that something is not right?
1: (laughs) This is the best question I've ever seen for a podcast. And as I said on your board, I reckon that they could go the whole night, including one-on-one interviews with Darcy, and he'd still be none the wiser. Say that again. (laughs) He'd he'd still be pretty happy with the way they both went about it as well. So...
2: (laughs) Every trademark's same. (laughs) Oh, jeez. We'll move on to some more serious questions then. So, what style of football do you expect on Saturday night?
1: Um, I would like to think it'll be a pretty contested game. Um, You guys have a lot of strength, I reckon, with your contested ball, and and Goldstein helps, but you've got some real bulls in the middle. Um, You've also, I know you've also got a bit of silk that you, you can you get the ball out to as well that can hurt. Um, from a CATS perspective, I want to see a contested game because if we don't win the contested ball and we don't win the clearances, we tend to not win. So um, hopefully it's just a, a good game. Hopefully it's not a shitful, boring one where it's about 25 to 27 at half time. I'd like to see a bit of scoring, but um, I'd just like to see a good, hard game of footy, basically. Um, and I
2: expect to see a, a pretty contested game of footy. It's the best kind of footy. So, basically, what has gone right and what has gone wrong for Geelong this year?
1: Well, we're sitting 8-3, um, and three, so and we've beaten the two Adelaide teams over there. We've belted West Coast. We beat Hawthorne uh, um, reasonably well. Um, so, you know, it, it's fair to say that there's been a fair bit that's that's gone right. We've had our... Pretty much all of our recruits have um, settled in well and and are contributing. Um, Our younger players are starting to develop and set up and and a few of the blokes that have been long, long, long long-term injured players are actually staying on the park and impacting, which has been really good. What's gone wrong? Well, the losses to uh, Carlton and Collingwood were pretty awful, pretty ordinary. Um, I must admit, I didn't watch I didn't see one of them because I was moving house a so big pies game but um, if you're reading the the cat's board uh, a lot of people seem to contribute a lot of it to attitude and work rate and think that um, Geelong still do occasionally just sort of show up expecting it to happen and in cruise mode a bit and get burnt out and for what's gone wrong for us is our um, our kicking for goal has been abysmal and our free kick, um, the, the amount of free kicks we give away has been pretty ordinary as well.
2: well I've I've most of been there?
3: Or... Oh. The, I saw Geelong play against the Crows here in Adelaide, and that was I've watched a fair bit of footy this year, and that's almost the most emphatic performance I've seen by any team this year against anyone. And yeah, since we... then, you haven't really fired a shot, so, and I haven't yeah, watched went... you play since. So I don't really understand it.
1: No, and I don't know if any of us sort of just uh, you know Joe Public do, but we should have been ten goals up at halftime that game, and that was down again to um, poor kicking for goal really cost could have cost us because Adelaide did come out and and have a and push back as they were always going um, to. Fortunately, we were good enough to still steady and and kick away again. But um, yeah, it's we were very flat for a couple of weeks after it. Um, on the weekend, we only won by 10 points, but we probably... Oh, you should have won by more. Yeah, I, I was at the game, and on the balance of the game, and I had said it on the Geelong podcast this week, I said uh, I felt leaving we probably should have won by eight goals. Um, they kicked 14-4. Like, that's pretty, that's pretty bloody good kicking, especially down at Geelong. Um, so, you know, they only have to miss a few more of those goals that we seem to have struggled kicking, and... And it's a more comfortable result. And I think we had something like 30 more inside 50s, so um, which is huge. Like, that's a ridiculous um, amount more of inside 50s hmm. um, on the free kicks. Who knows? we probably give away more than we should. I don't. I wouldn't dispute that um, most of them probably are there. we um, got more this week. Don't worry. Are we, are we getting the ones that we should? Who knows? It just, the umpires change their rules and change their mind every week. So it's hard to... It's hard, to, it's hard to know, really. Yeah. I'd hate to be a player going into a game and having to second guess if when you were doing something it was going to be a free kick or not. I would say that. It'd be very hard to not know what to expect from the umpires.
3: Well, you got 29 to 16 on the weekend, I just looked at. So. Yes, That's,
1: that was, I think, nearly the first time we've won it. I think our differential for the year, though, we're, we're 18th in conceding free kicks, so... Um, I'm not blaming the umpires, but potentially there's a, a lot there, and, and Chris Scott's said that it's not an umpire thing, it's a it's a Geelong issue, we've got to stop giving away those free kicks, basically. So
0: The good news is we're not playing on Friday night, so by Saturday night we'll know what the rule of the week is, and <laughs> hopefully we can
2: adjust it. Very true. Oh. Anyway, we'll move on to the next question, so we've already touched on some of the mature players, but... Who in particular has impressed you the most this year at Geelong?
1: From the mature players, yeah, um, Jimmy Bartel. Which I find that's a pretty easy one to answer. I was midway through last year. I was all keen for him to go again. After the last two games of last year, I was thinking, geez, maybe he's done. i I think he's done, and he probably should have. He should be, you know, pulling the pin. But he's been fantastic for us. He's been one of our most consistent players, and he did have a lot of injury problems last year, which wouldn't have helped. Um, but he's he's returned to that reliable, um, the reliable player that he'd been probably for the last decade. Um, where he's getting to the right spots, he's clean with the footy, still hard at the ball. When he has to go, he still will be the one that'll come out the other side of the ball, the pack with the ball. Um, so of the mature ones, he's been the one that's impressed me the most.
0: Question uh, without sorry. There you are, right, without notice for you. Um, do you regret letting Kelly go at all?
1: Kelly? No. Okay, that's S- interesting. You know, yeah, well, no, most Geelong supporters sort of thought the writing was on the wall for Kelly last year. He really struggled.
0: In I, I, comparison. With all the other players that you've let go, I haven't had a single issue there. But with Kelly's form with the druggies this year and with your seeming... Um, you know, struggle getting the ball out of defence. So I thought it was an interesting move.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't want him to be in the defence for us, though. We've already got an old enough back line, and I don't think we need another 30-something-year-old slow player back there. And and whilst you could probably argue Jimmy spends a bit of time down there as well, he sort of does float wherever he likes to a certain extent. And a lot of the time when he ends up there, it's because he's read the play and positioned himself into the right spot. Um yeah. Steve Johnson on the other hand, there's that's divided the Geelong supporters, it's fair to say in most. Yeah.
2: Yeah, but at the end of last year I would have I would have supported the ones that wanted him out because I don't think his form was that particularly great at yeah, towards the end of last year. Maybe it's just my own opinion, but Yeah. You could have seen it. and then this year it surprised everyone, his form. I think GWS brings out the best in the older players. I think yeah, players... he was
1: always sorry mate.
3: Yeah, I I just think people are quick to jump on superstars that aren't playing well. Like, we expect so much from these kind of guys, and when they start playing... Like, an example at North Melbourne is Petrie. I still expect him to bounce back at some point this year. We just jump on them as soon as they start going downhill, and I think that was part of the Stevie J one. Obviously, there was other issues there as well, but I think you got to give players a chance.
1: Yeah, true.
3: They have tickets, like, they have... Um runs on the board, give them a chance to bounce back.
2: Yeah. You're saying Willow, just before that?
1: Um I I think with um Stevie J as well, his form wasn't his form was reasonable, but I mean he was always I think he, I sort of always expected him to come out this year and, and play well because he's the type of bloke that seems like if he's got a point to prove as well, he'll he'll really get the best out of himself just to make a point. But if you it depends on what you believe but there's a lot of sort of talk as well that it was a bit off-field. There was some off-field, not Ooh. issues as in behavioural issues, but more just um, if you read between the lines and you listen to a few people, there was sort of talk that he was not following team orders and the club leaders had sort of had enough of him and and, and stuff like that that sort of helped you know sign, his, sign him out the door.
0: Mm. That doesn't surprise me. I've, I've watched him a bit at GWS this year, um, and my main thought has been it's a bit too much about Stevie. Mm. And that's why I don't question it all too letting him go. Um, you know, you're obviously past that, that age with a number of older superstars and Scarlet and the like. Um, and you're trying to sort of do that transition while still fighting for apprenticeships and top four and all of that. So I didn't question the Stevie J. The, the only one that sort of raised my eyebrows a little bit was Kelly, mainly because... I still rate him quite highly as a defender, and, and you seem quite not struggling as much, but the small defenders, I've, I've, I've sort of thought you'd given you a bit trouble this year.
1: Yeah, and it didn't help us that one of our most promising ones in Jackson Thurlow did his knee in the second NAB game as well. So um, a, a person they had sort of probably pigeonholed to play every game on that halfback, small defender type role, um, then so was what's out happened? The year before it began.
2: What happened to Views? Because he was he had some good form last year, but he seems to have dropped off a little bit.
1: Um, yeah, it's an inter- he's an interesting one. I thought he looked really impressive when he showed some real potential when he came in. I think one of his first games he played against North, and he he kept Thomas really quiet, and he played against Bets, and he kept Adelaide really quiet. Uh, sorry, played against Adelaide, kept Bets really quiet. Um, but he's just sort of stagnated a bit. He just He's a worry. He goes to ground far too easy. Like I've never, in all my years of watching footy, I've never seen a player who can't keep his feet as bad as Jed. Yeah. Um, and the other side to that is one of his probably biggest weaknesses is he doesn't he doesn't offer a lot with the ball. He's your shut down, absolute shut down, locked-down yeah. defender. Yeah, Talia type and. If they're battling along in that and they're getting a couple of goals kicked on them and they're not a star at that, if you don't have the other side of your game to go to as well, um, I think that's, that really hurts him.
2: We'll move on to the next question then. So basically, who have your youngsters have shown that they have the talent or have gone up a step this season?
1: Um, Depends how. What do you classify, I suppose, as a uh, youngster? Um,
2: first three, four years, though, I suppose you could probably put in Menzel if you like because he's effectively... His amount of gains makes him a youngster. Yeah,
1: yeah. probably from a, probably, look, well, one of our most improved, I think, this year in terms of a younger-ish player, but he's starting to get towards the older age, well, not older age, but the he's sort of early, mid-20s, it'd be Guthrie's probably stepped up a fair way. I think he's still only a, you know, maybe but he's probably a bit a bit older than to be classified as a youngster. But his school's been
2: very good. Like, he's gone he's up cool. that level this year. Like, I know he was very yeah, good absolutely. last year, but he's just gone up that extra bit as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Out of all of our youngsters who's shown they've got the talent, I think um, there's a fellow by the name of Lincoln McCarthy, who people probably wouldn't know, have known or seen a hell of a lot of before this season, who has done his navicular in his foot twice, Um He's he's been he played I think he'd only played about six games for this year over about four years just with he'd had quite a few injury problems and this year he's managed to get on the park for probably eight games I reckon um, and in an area that we're really struggling in the um, the small forward type area and and I've been really impressed with and I think he's showing he's got the talent to turn into a you know a pretty handy player. Um, and cockatoo probably before he got hurt, cockatoo was starting to show why he was rated so highly as well. But um, unfortunately, just as he was starting to show why he was in the team and the the danger and the pressure he could to bring to the forward line, he he hurt his knee and sort of was out for he's out for uh, I think another four or five weeks. So, yeah. uh, but they're probably the ones I'd be looking at.
2: Interesting. thanks for that. Also, one final question. It's mainly about the new arrivals in Henderson, Smith, Stanley. We all know about Dangerfield, so we won't go into him. Everyone knows about Dangerfield. But just for the other three arrivals, what have they done to your team this year? What have they done to improve Geelong's chances for a premiership this year?
1: Um, Well, well, Stanley did arrive last year. Yeah, I know. Yeah, my bad. So uh, he missed a fair chunk of the year last year. So... um, Having Smith and Stanley has been huge for us because we've actually got two guys that can play in the ruck and, um, and it can actually, for the most part, seem to stay on the park this year, touch wood. Um, it's nice to have guys that can sort of play as a number one ruckman, I think, like Zach Smith showed on the weekend and against round, and in round one against Hawthorne, the value that he can provide as a number one ruckman, where basically since Brad Otten has retired, we've been pretty rubbish in that area and had to resort to blitzarbs and, you know, players like Josh Walker. Dawson there. Simpson, um, taken before Thompson. Yeah, Dawson Simpson showed a bit of potential in about his first four games. And then you know, I think he's – I really feel sorry for him, though. He hurt his back about – I think he had pretty major back surgery about two or three times as well. So – and then did a PCL in his knee. So he was um, – and that's a big. He's going to carry around a big frame to do big injuries like that to be able to recover from. So we'd sort of been really, really poor in that side. And you're never going to be able to to compete for a premiership without a genuine ruckman. Mm. Um, I mean, we, you know, we all look and envy at your ruckman and how good he is. So um, if we, you know, hopefully we've got a ruckman now that can at least give us half a chance and and compete. Lockie Anderson's been very good. But he's really his benefit will probably be long term as well. Um, as Lonigan and and Taylor sort of finish up, we've got another key position that can be there for a few years, and he's he's sort of stepped in where Jared Rivers had been playing really good footy for us the last couple of years. Henderson, while he did start slow, he's actually he's playing playing some really good footy the last few weeks. Um, doesn't hurt the team, and uh, but he I see him more as a long term. Long-term thing, and we also have the young Selwood, Scott Selwood, who we picked up, who's yet to fire a shot, but is we heard during the week, Cats fans, we heard that he's back to full training, so hopefully he gets on the uh, on the park soon, and um, because you know finals footy is contested footy. If you have another tough in and under midfielder, it's not going to be it's not going to hurt your chances. If you and he's he's a proven player, he's a best and fairest winner at an AFL club, so. Um, He's a proven player. It's just hopefully that he hasn't... His body is still up to it. Yeah, thanks. Just quickly
0: on Goldie, uh, I have to say thank you on behalf of all North Melbourne supporters because I feel, and I know a lot of North supporters feel this, that the fire was lit under Goldstein's arse in that semi-final a couple of years ago when Geelong talked up that they were going to run Black calves all over him and running around the ground and whatever and he went beast mode in that final and he hasn't looked back since. So. <laughs> I'd, I'd love to say
1: I'm, you know, I'd love to say you're welcome, but I would. So, <laughs> but he was he was the the difference late in that game when he Hawkins was threatening when Hawkins game. was threatening to single handedly carry along through to the next week and uh, Goldstein just started plucking marks in the last few minutes. Yeah. when he had to. So. That was
0: that was the first of, of Beast Mode Goldie that we've seen <laughs> and he really hasn't looked back since. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, he's probably... He's, he's a, I've got a question for you guys. Is he going to play this week? And we're probably... I'm probably jumping ahead of the, the plan here <laughs> in the script here. But, um, yeah, do you expect him to play this week?
2: Yeah, I do. I think he was a bit sore. More than anything, I don't think it was a major injury I think it's just a bit of soreness that you pick up over the few weeks, I'm sure everyone's carrying a bit of that yeah, I, think, yeah. I
0: do, I, I was not at all surprised to see him rested last week I think he needed it um, and given the challenge of this week, no disrespect to Richmond but they suck um, <laughs> we will definitely play our best player
3: yeah, he'll play. Yeah. I, I, it's bad for Mad Jack though, like I do feel sorry for Mad Jack because there's just not a spot for him in the team but he'd probably be playing in almost any other side.
2: Mmm, poor match. Anyway, we'll get <laughs> straight into the review then, um because we can talk, we'll talk about Mad for hours if we get on to him. <laughs> so, in terms of the game last week against Richmond, it was just a very good win. We absolutely smashed him. Never every respect, it was a good percentage boost. We simply out pressured them, out worked them, and outclassed them. They they had a lot of injuries, which did factor in, but they were, they were done before the injuries. Uh, it was close to our best game for the season. Door came in and did a great job, as I alluded to before. Cunnington was very good. I've been very happy of his last couple of weeks. I think a lot of people criticise him because he has that demeanour like Lockie does sometimes that he's not fully there. That he's a little bit lazy <laughs> at times, but that's just the way he is. He, he just has all the time in the world. McDonald's just continuing his great form. Daniel Wells is just Daniel Wells. So the entire 22 has <laughs> played really well, but Mark's up. I firstly just want to ask you, how good is it to have Daniel Wells back?
3: Yeah, well, he's actually one of my favourite players ever. So to see him back, I honestly was worried there for a little bit whether he would ever get back to his best, but he's playing some of his best footies he's ever played. I'll... That first quarter against Western Bulldogs earlier in the year really just like set it in stone for me that this guy can actually make a major difference to our side come September. So let's just hope he stays fit.
2: Yeah. So what did you take out of the game? Just in general sense?
3: Um, I just think that you mentioned the injuries that Richmond got and obviously that has an impact, but I reckon we actually played some of our worst football later in that game. So to suggest the injuries are had made a difference at all it wouldn't have if they had 22 players i still think we would have beat them by a similar margin so they can use that as an excuse if they want but <laughs> we totally outplayed them and yeah it was just so satisfying to be able to sit down and watch us really just obliterate a side I hate so yeah it was good that's good
2: self Z, did you take anything out
0: i just loved it i I've said for a long time that one of my favorite things is putting the Tigers back in their box, and we seem to do it every year, like, they'd come into this game, they'd won three in a row, they were mentioning (laughs) the the F-word, as they said last year, (laughs) 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 which I just found hilarious, and we absolutely smashed them in every aspect. We won contested possessions, we won uncontested possessions, our disposal efficiency was better, we, are, we won the inside 50 count by 30, which is just fucking ridiculous. Um, we considered 52% of our inside 50s. They converted 38%. We had 50 more disposals and had 36 more tackles. We just absolutely smashed them across any stat you want to look at, and it was just beautiful to watch. That's <laughs> the F word. I actually hope
3: they make finals because it sets them up for a bigger failure. So let's just hope oh, they somehow oh. do put it together and then lose in the first round once again.
2: Yeah, but nothing can beat that Carlton final where ninth beat. <laughs> 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 this year after the lead-in, <laughs> so
0: it, it would be beautiful to watch them lose yet another elimination final. But I think this year's um, Sean Freud will be. The Collingwood and Richmond both signed new contracts for their terrible coaches and <laughs> were both missed finals. I think that'll be the laugh that the rest of us get to have this year. <laughs> okay, all right.
2: um, Anything else to add before we move on to the preview? Yeah,
0: I, I'll be very quick on this, because I know Gibbo is somewhat of a touchy subject, but he <laughs> fucking smashed Brandon Ellis. Like, he is totally and utterly Gibbo's bitch. He gets into 10 touches in the final last year he hit to him seven touches this year I just love it because I rate Ellis highly and against us he just doesn't fire a shot I, it's just magnificent um, Tattoo Dickhead Dustin Martin has been basically the reason behind their resurgence in the last three weeks or whatever it's been and got absolutely smashed by Siebel and Covington and I loved it um, what else do they have sorry go ahead one. Uh, I reckon we actually went in with
3: a tactic against him to every time he got the ball, there had to be two or three bikes tackling him. Cause oh, like, yeah. He, he hated it, to too. And he was just getting mauled all night.
0: Yeah. That, that, that's actually going to be my next point. Like, we clearly have a tactic against Richmond, and it's worked time after time after time. We, we target
2: He's, three or four players.
0: Yeah, we you, go you shut down their top three or four players, and their side looks like BFL so quickly. <laughs> if, if you... Sh- They've got Cochin, they've got Martin, Rewalt, Rance, blah, blah, blah. They've got five or six really good players, and then the rest of the side drops off extraordinarily. If you shut down two or three of the big ones, the game's in the bag, and, and we've done that through, you know, your e. Jacobs tag, through your e. Gibson tag, through whatever, and it's been very, very effective, and I love it. <laughs>
3: that just reminded me McDonald as well on the weekend. He killed Deledio as well. Oh, yeah. And Deledio is their
0: you know, barometer.
2: Yeah. Well, he's resting too far forward. I don't know why they put him left in there for that long. But anyway, we'll move straight on to the preview. Now, Sorry, just just quickly. Did you
0: that, see in the last quarter he sat on the bench with a warm blanket? <laughs> just, and a water bottle, <laughs> yeah. That just summed up Richard to me.
2: <laughs> nice and soft of a blanket. Anyway, well, now we can finally move on to the preview. So in terms of ins and outs, so start with North. So Goldstein's in, which is great, and Mullet's been rewarded with some good VFL form. Um, Wright's unfortunately out for a few weeks, I think like for two months roughly. I would check that. And Magic Door's very unluck- unlucky. In terms of emergencies, Door Wagner's been rewarded for some good form, and Farron Ray are the emergencies. And for Geelong, Stanley's in just for that bull crap suspension to Hawkins, and their emergencies are Gregson, Buse, and Vardy, just for that tall support, but apparently, by all reports, he's not having a great VFL season, so, Jay-Z, the match-ups. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: well, firstly, with their forwards, um, obviously, Stanley's come in for Hawkins, um, it's clearly not really like-for-like. Like. He's not the marking threat that Hawkins usually presents. Um, I was having a quick look at stats before, and Stanley averages one contested at a game versus Hawkins at 2.5. And not just that, but I think Hawkins, like Petrie for us, creates a lot of contests for their smaller forwards where, you know, they can get long to Hawkins, they can rely on him at least bringing it to ground, and... Um, giving something for their small forwards to latch onto, so I think that's a fair advantage in our our camp.
2: So he goes to him?
0: I think Tarrant goes to Stanley. Uh, I think Tarrant tends to handle the taller players the best, and also has pretty good speed off the mark, which is quite good in Stanley's camp. Um, I see Thompson probably going to Kirsten.
2: He's having a very good year too. It's been a revelation
0: for them this year. He's been very, very good. Um, So hopefully Scotty can do the job on him. Um, Duncan will sort of play forward midfield, but when he's forward, I I see Spud going to him. Um,
2: I had Mick going to Menzel. Yeah, yep, I can see that. Um, At the other end of the ground, I'd
0: say... Uh, Maybe Lonergan on Petrie. Um,
2: Taylor on Brown, I see.
0: Yeah, I think they'll try and put Taylor on Brown and kind of exploit him a little bit. Brown's not very quick, and Taylor obviously loves to play the third up. Um, And Henderson, who I rate very highly as a defender, I expect to go to weight. Um, Mackie the Wood. Yeah, well... Making him do whatever he wants. I don't. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we don't have a high opinion of him, will I? So just excuse us for that. I did.
0: I did a long time ago. Like, in his prime, he was absolutely magnificent. Now I think he has more talk and less action. Um,
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, so he um, so goes I'll, to Thomas.
0: Boris. Well, yeah, I think Boris will go to Thomas. But the, the real battle, I think, will be um, in the midfield. I think Swallow, Zebel, Cunnington versus Selwood, Danger, and I guess Caddy. They're, they're really a twosome, but I guess if you have to pick three, it'll probably be Caddy. Um, I think that'll be the ultimate matchup
2: in this game. Yep. So winning a contested football, basically, is the key. Yep. yep.
3: I'd yep. like to see uh, McDonald go to Motlop as well, because he has been able to do that shutdown role, and although he might be done for pace a little bit in that battle, I'd still like to see how he goes early on.
2: We always got Atley to roll on to him anyway, and Atley can sit on, say, Lang, who typically plays that half forward wing type role, so that will suit. We can just roll him over if need be. Yeah, yeah.
0: Mot-Lop's an interesting one. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts, Willow, on him. I I think he's very much a, a barometer for Geelong. It's a question of which Motlop shows up. He can be. Yeah. The fat and lazy one, who I've seen a bit this year, or the absolute wizard that I thought was going to tear the comp to pieces a couple of years ago. Like the last yeah, three weeks, you've been down on form. He's been invisible, but yeah. he's still second in your goals after Hawkins, and it's his hundredth game this week, and he's a bit of a, a question mark.
1: Yeah, and I was yeah I was going to touch on saying it's his hundredth this week. He um I I tend to agree that uh, that he is a bit of a barometer. His best is. All Australian good. His worst is just awful. So, and it and I reckon a lot of it comes down to attitude. Um, it's he doesn't. He's it also comes down to as much as anything though. It also comes down to the other players around him. He's never going to go in and get your twenty contested touches a game. But if other blokes are doing that and giving it to him, then his benefit um, increases dramatically. And. It's, it's really the, our best our best sort of um, result with him is when he's... I know he's dangerous around goals, but uh, his best work is done when he's actually working really hard and he does a lot of gut running from sort of 50 to 50 and a lot of carry and run and carry with the ball. And if he's getting the ball sort of the defensive side of the wing, running, bouncing, carrying and kicking long into 50, we're a better team. So... Um, a lot of that seems to come down and work right, and where he's getting the footy, how hard he's actually working and running to get it as well.
0: Yeah, he's almost the opposite of, of, of Buddy, if you like. Like, we have implied a, a tactic against Buddy in the last couple of years where we basically ignore him when he leaves the 50 and says, you can go get Ball out on the wing and we don't give a shit. What love I see is the opposite. I'm quite happy for him to be camped in the 50, but I don't want to see him getting shitloads of ball on the wing and delivering inside 50
1: because he's he's um and he's un he's unconventional as well he doesn't he doesn't get it up on the wing and just hit the straight kick at the bloke leading straight at him he's likely to pull the kick across his body or kick it off the outside of his boot to someone leading on a 45 degree angle away from him that that not many other players are actually capable of pulling off that, that are obviously if it works it's harder to defend he's that type of player as well, which makes it when he's on as to why he's so good because he can he can do those things that most other players can't do. Um, but when he's just chasing chasing tail all day and and not getting near it, he looks he can look uninterested and and lazy. But um, yeah, it's how he plays will go a long way to deciding the result of the game. I reckon.
0: I don't want to spend the whole preview on him, but just quickly your perspective on how he came back. This preseason,
1: overweight and unfit. <laughs> I, um, I, yeah.
0: I watched him in the preseason because I said I I rated him for a while and I thought he was gonna dominate a couple of years ago. But yeah, I watched him in the preseason and went. Who the hell is that fat lazy prick?
1: <laughs> yeah, and there was a there was a photo that we sort of saw from day one of preseason, and he was lagging behind. Hawkins and Lonigan and the other big boys yeah. in the running drills, And and there's a very unflattering photo of him with a big round belly sticking... You could clearly see under his shirt. So, oh, it's like
2: the Mitch Clark one.
1: Yeah, except the, this one was actually belly, where the Mitch Clark one was not. So <laughs> the Clark one was just the bad angle and the wind blowing his shirt out. The uh, the Motlot one, unfortunately, was all him. So... Um, <laughs> Pretty frustrating as a, uh, you know, we're only just supporters and fans, but, you know, they're paid to do this, and they come back out of shape. It is pretty frustrating. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, it's it doesn't matter how he's running around in November. It's, it matters how he's running around now, and he did drop the kilos and, and get back up and going. It took him a few weeks, and then he, you know, after sort of round three or four onwards, he was playing some seriously good footy for us. So, um I suppose it's on to him now that he's sort of dropped back off again to to pick his game up because if he doesn't have a very good year, if he sort of just peters out and goes along, well, then you seriously have to look at the the way he presented at the start of pre-season and did he give himself the chance to be as in a good a shape as he could to therefore have as good a year as he could. So, um, yeah, we weren't thrilled to see the way he sort of came back, though.
2: <laughs> imagine not. Well... Just one final one before we finish up, because we're going a bit over time. But anyway, um, this was something else posed on the cats board, and they wanted me to discuss it. Was basically in terms of your height, in terms of defence, so your Taylor, your Henderson, even Colin Jazny is having actually quite a good year, and I highly rate him. I wouldn't mind him at North. So basically, how do we stop them from intercepting the ball and rebounding quickly through the centre? So marks up. I'm just basically asking. Do we have to have one of our key forwards play a bit of a sacrificial role again?
3: Um, maybe. I think if we focus on what we got to do, it probably won't matter. We're probably a similar type of side to that. You never know, Brad Scott might opt for the same thing we did against the Bulldogs where we played one behind the ball a lot of the night and made it a bit of a scrap and sort of denied that run. And then, yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure, to be honest, but I think, our run is just as damaging as theirs can be, so I think if they want to play that way, we'll be pretty happy to play that way as well, as long as blokes like Atley and McMillan do get off their man and have an impact. And yeah. we brought Mullard in as well for that, so I think we can counteract that with our run-off half-back.
2: Because looking at, looking at the Geelong defence and the bench, they've got a very tall... I know Emmerich's, like he's not big, but they have a very tall defence, and that's, I think, something that Bartell probably will need to go back there, as Willow alluded to before. So, Jay-Z, do Guthrie you have anything... may as... Sorry, Sorry,
1: Guthrie may as well roll through there a bit, I'd say.
2: Well, it just seems to lack, besides Enright and maybe Corn jazzy it just seems to lack a little bit of rebound in terms of that sp- spring straight into along the wing.
1: That's where Mackie can be really good as well because he sort of doesn't play to his... He's height, I think he's 192 or 193 or something like that. But he he does play sort of more as a as a flanker, and um, when Geelong are playing well, you often see him getting the ball across half back because he does use it pretty well. Use, yeah. normally uses it very well. So um, it's yeah, it's we do have a lot of tools, but I think just just looking at the defence before we sort of shuffle on from it. Um, Where well you gave your ideal matchups before, I wouldn't be surprised to see Taylor go to weight. I think Lonigan to Petrie is a bit of a no-brainer. I would not be surprised at all to see Taylor go to weight. He's tended to go to the opposition's best forward a bit this year, and Henderson has been um, sort of Henderson's almost taken over as our number one intercept marker. So the third forward, okay? Third defender. Yeah, he's. He's almost taken over the Taylor role. I'd actually almost... I would think that he's probably the one that's been doing most of the damage in terms of intercept marks, particularly sort of, you know, the last five or six weeks. Um, yeah, that, that's like interesting
0: because last... I, yeah, I, I sort of base my matchups on the fact that Taylor has been that intercept marker in the past and the easiest yep. one of our forwards to roll off is Brown. I think yep. if you roll off weight, you're be asking for trouble. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I just... Yeah, But if Henderson can last... play that role, and as I said, I rate him quite highly as a defender. If he can play that role off intercept role, then yeah, maybe he does go to Brown, and, and that well, would be a good he's, been, he's
1: been um, He's been, in my opinion, playing it this year. Last week, we played GWS, so we had a bit of a dress rehearsal last week for a team with three tall forwards anyway. And Taylor took Cameron, who you would argue is their most dangerous forward. Probably wouldn't even argue. It probably is just pretty cut and no dry. <laughs> um, yeah. So Taylor took Cameron and took him to the cleaners as well. I think Cameron had three touches or something like that for the game. It's a bath. Um, yeah, which doesn't happen to Cameron. It hasn't sort of happened since he's since he sort of started. You know, since he's been around. Um, I have a feeling that Henderson took. Um, I'm trying to think. I have a feeling that Henderson took lob and. Um, Lonergan took Patton, and and Henderson was just rolling off. I don't know, either, or those two may have swapped around a bit, but um, Henderson was rolling off and, and taking marks and was one of our best players on the ground. And that's, I, if they're going to look at trying to get one that they can sort of free up to, to do that role, I'd, I'd expect it to be Henderson. My biggest worry as a Cats fan is your small forwards, though, yeah. carving us up. So um, we don't have great small defenders. We've got Ruggles, who's... Who's off the rookie list and only twenty two or three. He's only you know, young and inexperienced. But he, he, he tries, he battles, he shows good promise, but he's only played about eight games of footy, so of AFL level footy, so you can't we can't depend on him. Yeah. Um, and I would I wouldn't like to see I wouldn't like to see him on Lindsay Thomas because I think Thomas is one of those players that does bait the opposition a bit and <laughs> Ruggles looks like a bit of a hothead. And he's already shown that a happening. willingness. He's already shown a willingness to get in there, and I could easily, yeah. if he goes to him, I hope it doesn't happen. I could see it happening, but he'll Thomas will push him, and Ruggles will belt him, or snap, or give away a stupid free kick or something, and just be absolutely sucked in. So uh, I hope it doesn't occur. But you know, we are still relying on on Enright and even Mackie to play small at times, like he's played on Bruce. For Hawthorne a few times But yeah, our small forwards are a, a bit of a, a bit of a concern, especially with With Thomas and even Nahas Who can be dangerous, who, you know He ripped us apart that game in Geelong last year So it's a, it's a yeah. problem we haven't fixed yet
0: Yeah, I think the thing um, the, the one thing you haven't mentioned And I think the thing that we've caught A couple of teams on this year Is Boomer playing basically Permanent small forward And we've seen him be tagged for 20 years, <laughs> which is ridiculous. Um, and this year he's playing small forward, and there's not a lot of small defenders that can go with him. And I, I see him as quite a danger um, matchup for you guys this week, as well as you know Thomas and Nahas and the like. And you know, talking about your defenses as a general, I, as I said before, I'm a bit concerned about their um, their rebound and and whatnot and their ability to deliver outside of 50, and our hallmark in every game that we've won so far has been the pressure inside 50. So I think it'll be up to the likes of Thomas and Harvey and Nahas and and even White, even though he's tall. And Wells as well. An incredible tackler. And Wells, yep. If they put the pressure on the Geelong defence, I see that as our, our major revenue to goal.
2: Uh, uh, yeah, creating exactly. that contest. Um, that's why I asked before about that sacrificial role. If we can create that contest and make the ball come to the ground, that's where we tend to... We got Geelong last year doing that a little bit. We got a lot of goals from... We're just halving the contest against two or three opponents and just yeah, running through.
0: And, that, and that's where I'm interested to see what role Taylor and or Henderson play because where Geelong have got us in the past has been that upset marking if we don't pick the right target. Um, and and whether that be Taylor or Henderson or, or both, um, I think we've got to be smart about our inside 50 entries, and I think that'll be a large part of the game because they have tended to sort of bomb it long to Hawkins in a hit-and-hope kind of scenario. Hawkins is obviously not there this week. Um, ours varies quite significantly when we're... Our, sorry our, um, disposal inside 50 varies quite significantly depending on whether Friendship. we're on or not. If we have Wells, Harvey, Dal delivering inside 50 and the three bigs are making at least a contest, if not marking it, I think we'll push their defence very much. Yeah. Just on Boomer quickly. Uh,
3: I don't think anyone from Geelong can do a worse job on him than Taylor Hunt used to do. So. You'd be <laughs>
0: As a Geelong supporter, I don't want to derail it much, but as a Geelong supporter, can you believe that he's still getting games at, at Richmond? Um,
1: yes, because it's Richmond. <laughs> 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 oh,
3: I,
0: like, involves Richmond. Yeah, I no, know yes. so many Richmond supporters that are just constantly frustrated that he gets picked and it's like, why would he pick this guy?
1: <laughs> Lots of people on the Geelong board are actually, um, you know, a bit dirty that we let him go and Oh, it's, battlers are battlers. You can stay. You can tell. I often find you can tell that. Um, you can tell someone's going to be a battler from pretty early on. So, you know, every team needs their good role players. Don't get me wrong, but um, he's never going to be the difference. He's never going to be a of player that that you win a premiership off. Put it that way.
2: So he's a good role player. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. Well, he tries hard though. So <laughs>
2: A for F for, F for... Yeah, just crapness. Execution.
0: <laughs> but, but that just personifies Richmond, doesn't it? Like, they've got their top six good players and their bottom six is seriously bottom four yeah, quality. Top,
1: <laughs> their, top six, their top six is, like, absolutely elite. Like, you can't even question. Their top six are pure Jets, but then it just falls away so drastically so quick from there.
2: Very true. We'll finish up there, guys. Thanks for that. Um, I'd like to thank Jay-Z and Mark's Up for jumping on. Thanks, guys. And I'd like to thank Willow for coming onto the show and giving us some valuable opposition insight. Thanks for that. No worries. Uh, thanks for having me. Good to have you on. And thanks for listening, ladies and gentlemen. Have a good weekend and hopefully a good game.